You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. It's just such an honor, and I mean this with all my heart. It's just such an honor to be back here today. This day has already been everything I could have hoped it would have been, and the fact of getting the chance to be here for the first service and seeing so many people that uh, I love and we shared life with for during those few years together, and now to be here and see so many of you, and I know a lot of you are new and, and uh, are newer, I should say, and uh, for me to be back here and stand on this pulpit is just a thrill. Um, I was thinking um, a couple of things that really came out of my time here in Lexington that um, are very meaningful to me today. Uh, I never knew Monty Wilkinson, um, but when I came here, when I was called to be the senior pastor, I looked at our staff, and it was a great staff, but maybe it lacked a little bit in some um, seasoning and, and some formal training maybe in some areas, and I made the statement very early on that I wanted to bring on some staff that, that had that training and that, that that reservoir of experience and strength. And uh, uh, before I even started, I interviewed this guy named Monty Wilkinson. I'd heard of him, but I didn't know him. And uh, it was the uh, easiest hire that I made. Went there, I got to know him and meet him and hired him right on the spot. And he started two weeks before uh, that I, even I did. And uh, since that time, we've just developed a friendship and I love this guy and I love his family, and I'm just honored that he asked me to be back here today. I also had the privilege of bringing a young man that I've known since he was two or three years old, Nathan Zimmerman, to staff here. And I know Nathan's had a great ministry here as well. But I need to tell you one more thing. that The best thing that ever came out of our time here was that our youngest son, Alex, met his wife uh, here, Lindsay Meccarello. And Lindsay and Alex are now married and have given us this beautiful... Lindsay's here. Where's she at? Where's she at? Lindsay, stand up right now. Oh, you don't have Noah with you? Okay, well, you didn't. She has a little something. But that's, that's my daughter-in-law, Lindsay, and we love her to death. And um, so thrilled to have Christopher and Casey and our little granddaughters, Ruthie and Rosie back there, and Michael and Veronica and our little granddaughter, Ella Grace. For those of you who knew, Jody and I raised four boys, and the first two grandson, uh, grandkids were boys. We thought, that's it. We're never going to get any girls. Well, we've had five more grandkids since we left here and four more girls. So, uh, you know, God is good. He's just shown me what I missed, and uh, I've, uh, I've loved that experience. And uh, so let me just say again how thrilled I am to be back here, not only to look back at the past, and that's important, to look back and reflect on how good and faithful God has been in the times where he's brought us through, as Monty said, the challenging seasons as well as the great times of celebration. But I'm most excited about being here today because I believe, and I know your leadership believes this, that the best days of Northeast are still ahead. That the impact that God has intended for this church to have in this community, in this area, he still wants to do great things here. And he will do great things here as long as all of us together are yielded to him and allow him to work through us. And so it's an honor for me to be a small part of that here today. I want to talk to you today about what it means to live our lives connected to God through the role of the Holy Spirit in his life. I did a series on the Holy Spirit when I was here and uh, Monty and, and Todd and a couple other guys have asked me to come back and share some of that. So I want to do that today. So before I dive into that, uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll, we'll get to our time of study. God, it is so good to, to be in this place. It is so good to be back here today. Um, Lord, I've seen people that uh, so greatly encouraged me and walked with me and, and stood with us. And, and they were such great people. And to see them again today and to see them still faithful. Uh, 
couple of them out in the lobby today, just tears came to their eyes talking about what this place means to them. And uh, so good to see. It's so good to see new faces, that people come up and say, I didn't, I didn't know you, I, I wasn't here, but you know, I'm so excited that I found Northeast and uh, to hear those stories. But God, I do know, I know the elders of this church, I know Monty, and I know so much of the staff, and I know one thing. They are not about themselves, they are about Jesus. And everything that has been done here has been because of Christ. And we give you praise for that. So today, we just take some time to talk about how we can live for Jesus every day. How we can live godly lives in the midst of what is a very ungodly world. So as we enter this time of study, may your Holy Spirit just lead us and teach us now. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday, I had the privilege of coming in a day early and playing some golf with some guys here. I love to play golf. How many golfers do we have here this morning? Very many? All right, a few hands. God bless you. You're saved, no doubt. Uh, I love to play golf. I'm not very good at it, but I do. I love to play it. Several years ago, my wife and I, for our 25th anniversary, decided we were going to go to Hawaii. We'd never been to Hawaii. And at the last minute, the whole trip fell through. Out of things out of our control. And we ended up just saying, okay, well, we'll just go to San Diego. We've never been to that part of the country. And I told you, I said, if we go to San Diego, one of my dreams is to play a course out there called Torrey Pines. Now, Torrey Pines has hosted many major uh, tournaments and everything. Torrey Pines is a course where Tiger Woods and, and Phil Mickelson played as juniors. You walk into the clubhouse, there's pictures of 12-year-old Tiger Woods holding the trophy he won at Torrey Pines. And it's just a cool place to see. So I told Joy I was going to play, and I got up one morning, left the condo early, drove down the Pacific Coast Highway to La Jolla, and I, and I walked into the clubhouse of Torrey Pines, and I said to the guy, hey, look, I'm a single, I'm here by myself, can you get me on? And he goes, you have your clubs? And I said, absolutely, you're out in the car. And he goes, hurry. So I ran out and I grabbed my clubs. And as I was running back in, I was thinking what all my friends who'd ever played Torrey Fines before told me. They said, Steve, it's really a tough course. If you can find somebody who's played there before, that would probably really help you. And I thought, well, that's not going to happen. You know, I'm just out there on my own. And so I didn't think any more about that. And I run into the clubhouse with my clubs. And the guy goes, starter goes, okay, you're going to be playing with this guy right over here. I walked over, stuck out my hand, and his name was Pat. I said, Pat, what do you do? And Pat says, well, I'm actually the superintendent of the golf course down at Balboa Park, which is a sister course of Torrey Pines, and I've been a superintendent there for years. I said, so you've played Torrey Pines a lot, I said. And he goes, oh, I've played it a hundred times. I went, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I've never played it. Can you help me? He goes, I'll be happy to. So we tee off, and on the front nine, I'm having a blast, because on every hole, Pat would say to me, now, Steve, You've got to keep your drive on the right side of the fairway here. If you get on the left, you're never going to hit the green. You know, and you've got to land this shot short of the green. He was telling me stuff. I remember one time lining up a putt, and I would say to Pat, I said, now this putt's going to go right to left, isn't it? And he goes, no, no, it's going to break to the right. It's going to go left to right. And I'm like, there's no way. Look at this. And he'd say, trust me. So I'd hit the putt the way he told me, and it turned out to be great. And at the end of nine holes, I had shot a 42 at Torrey Pines, which for me was really good. Well, we stop at the turn to get a hot dog, and I'm sitting there getting my food, and I walk back over to say something to Pat, and he's on his phone, and I walk up behind him just in time to hear him say, all right, I'll be there as soon as I can. And he turns to me and he goes, Steve, I got to go. And I stood there at the turn as he got in his golf cart pulling away, and I knew that I was a dead man. I knew it. And I stood there with mustard on my face just waving goodbye to Pat as he (laughs) drove away. Well, to shorten this story, I went out and played the back nine by myself, I shot a 77, and I cheated to get that score, okay? Just, <laughs> just to be truthful with you. <laughs> but you know, that experience taught me how important it is to have somebody 
who can lead you, who can guide you, who can help you through whatever challenges you're facing. And it got me thinking, wouldn't it be great if we had a guide to lead us in every aspect of our life? I mean, just think back to the days, for those of you who are married, when you were dating. Wouldn't it be great to have a, a, a lead or a guy who could say to you, no, no, don't date him or don't date her. This is the one you want over here. Somebody to give you some guidance. How, think about when you're married. Let's say you're having a, an argument with your spouse. Not that Jody and I have ever had that, but I've heard people do. And, and you know, you're having this argument and you have a guy that would say to you, no, no, this is about the time you already say to your wife, you know, you're just like your mom. This guy would come to you and say, no, no, don't go there, don't go there. And, 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 you know, you'd have that kind of lead. I mean, how important it would, critical it would be to have somebody like that who could lead you or guide you. Because, you know, we all know that when we make mistakes in decision-making, especially some of the big decisions, they can have ramifications all the way through our life. You know what? I have the privilege of standing up here and telling you today that God has told us in his word that he has a guide for us. Somebody who can lead us every day of our life and give us wisdom and direction and guidance for everyday decisions we face. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was given to us by God. God, Jesus said, I will not leave you alone. I will give you the Spirit, and the Spirit will help lead you and guide you. And I want to say this morning, if you've not learned to depend and walk in the Spirit, and you know, and every time you say this, people go, they get things in their mind. I remember standing on this stage years ago and talking about this and saying, you know, I know in the church I grew up with, when you start talking about Holy Spirit, Everybody thought of that stuff that sometimes you see on TV, maybe where some of the abuses of the Spirit and everybody's talking about, you know, what the Holy Spirit will do and he wants you rich and healthy. And and, and my home church saw maybe some of those, I don't know, uh, excesses or whatever. And, And so as a result, my home church swung way over here to the other end of the spectrum and we never talked about the Holy Spirit. But the truth of the matter is, whether it be abuse or avoidance, both those break the heart of God when it comes to the Holy Spirit. God wants us to understand the role the Holy Spirit can play in our life and what he can do for you every day if you live your life in step, as Galatians says, with the Holy Spirit and connected to him. And that's what I want to talk to you today, about how we can live our life that way. Because I want to tell you something, friends. When you as a believer realize that you have 100% pure, undiluted God in you through the Holy Spirit, that's a game changer when you understand that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the desire of God, that we walk with that Holy Spirit. I chose the springboard passage, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18, from the message translation. I love this. Paul says, this is what I want for you. He goes, this is my counsel to you. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's, what? Spirit. Yeah. As you do that, look what he says next. You won't feel feel the compulsions of selfishness. You won't be all about yourself anymore. He says, why don't you choose, it's your choice, why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. In doing so, you'll escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. It's my privilege today to stand before you on this great day in the history of Northeast Christian Church, this day where, again, you look back and celebrate the past, but you also look ahead. Today is forward 15, right, Monty? forward 15. And as you look ahead and you say as a church what God wants us to be, what he wants us to do. And I want to tell you something, my friends, and don't miss this. This church will never be all that God intends it to be until you, as a part of this church, are all that God intends for you to do in walking in step with the Spirit. I used to use a phrase when I was here, and I still believe it's true because I hear it in the heartbeat of the conversations that I have with Monty and with Todd and Steve Smith and other guys here that I talk with on a regular basis, I used to stand up here and say this. 
that our goal as a church was to make Lexington, Kentucky the toughest place in the world to go to hell from. And that God would use this place to reach people for Christ. And I know that's still your heartbeat, still what you're about. So how do we live our lives in such a way that we not only keep God's priority, our priorities, but we live in such a way that our lives are so attractively different. Let me say that again. That our lives are so attractively different to the world around us that the world looks at us and, say, and says, I want more of this. I want to be more like that. Well, you can't do that without walking in step with the Spirit. So that's what I'm going to talk to you today about. How do we do that? How do we walk in step with the Spirit? You know, because it's tough to live our lives this day. We all live in the real world. It, it's, a, it's a tough world out there sometimes to live a godly life in such an ungodly uh, place that we are right now. And there's times that you do pretty good with it. There's other times you look back on your day and you say, you know, I didn't feel like I was connected. I didn't have God in my life all day. It just didn't seem like I was really living for him. I love to tell the story about years ago. I was having a good morning. Just really felt a closeness to God. Everything was so good. And, and, and at lunchtime, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I was driving back to the office. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Steve, go to Chick-fil-A. He says that to me often. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go pick up some Chick-fil-A for lunch. And my wife worked at the church, so I called her. I said, hey, you want something for Chick-fil-A? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I think I want the six-piece nugget meal. I'm like, okay. So I pull up to the drive through window to the board there, and I'm looking all over for the board for the six-piece nugget, and I can't see it. And so the guy gets on. He says, how may I serve you? And I said, um, do you have the six-piece nugget meal? And he doesn't say anything. And a second later, he goes, what do you want to drink with that? And I said, oh, so you do have the six-piece nugget meal? And he goes, yeah. I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Well, give me a Coke to drink with that. And then he says, anything else, ma'am? I pulled away from that window. I had anger fantasies you wouldn't believe. I had it all worked out in my head what I was going to say when I got up to the window. You know, I have this spiritual gift of sarcasm anyway. And I, I was going to pull up the window and say, Hey, Skippy, how'd you get this job? You flunked out of toll booth school, you know, or something like that? Or I thought I might pull up to him and look at him and go, These look like a man to you. But I thought, No, nah, that probably won't help me much in my argument. So I, I didn't do that. But then I pulled away from that and I thought, Man, it was such a good day. And, and now, later on that afternoon, I reflected I just like messed up my whole day because I got so angry and, and I thought you know what just six hours earlier I was feeling good now here I am a few hours later and I'm all fired up or something like this and I have people come to my office all the time I say man I just don't feel like I'm living for God the way I should some days I do pretty good and other days I don't and I still get beat up by the same sins and I just don't feel like I'm living the way God wants me to in the midst of this world you know I always tell them you know what the hardest thing about living the Christian life is it's so daily it is it's a challenge. But he didn't leave us here to figure that out alone, how to do it. In fact, Jesus made a statement, it's better for me, he said, to go away. And we're like, no, no, Jesus, don't go away. We need you here. He says, no, it's better that I go away because I'm sending somebody else to help you. And guess who that was? That was the Holy Spirit he was talking about. And he says, that Spirit will come and help you live the way God wants us to live. So how do we live our life that way, you know? How do we get victory over the same stuff that we battle with? You know, maybe if I were to sit down with you individually, I'd say, hey, sins in your life that you were still battling five years ago and you're still fighting them today? Some of you might have to say, yeah, there is. I just can't seem to have victory over it. 
Or it just seems like I get deal, deal with one issue in my life and something else happens. Reminds me of the time my grandson, my oldest grandson said, Grandpa, take me to Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody here been to Chuck E. Cheese? My grandson loves Chuck E. Cheese. I'm going to be honest with you, I hate Chuck E. Cheese. Worst pizza I've ever had, first of all. But we go there and we're eating pizza and we're playing games. And I got playing a game. Have you ever seen this game at Chuck E. Cheese called Whack-A-Mole? You know what I'm talking about? Whack-a-mole is this game where moles pop up out of these holes, and you take this hammer they're giving, you slam the moles on top of the head, and you slam them back down. And as soon as you slam one down, guess what happens? Another one pops up. So you slam it down, and two more pop up. Then you slam that one down, and three more come up, and it just goes on and on. And what's so frustrating about whack-a-mole is it just goes on and on like that, and it doesn't seem like you just reach a point where you get so frustrated you can't do anything about it. I want to tell you something, my friends. I'm going to go really deep here. This is the theologian in me. Life is like whack-a-mole. Just about the time you get one problem, whack down, what happens? Another one pops up. And you whack that down. Two more pop up. You whack that down. Three more pop up. And that is life. Whack-a-mole. Thank you for coming. Have a great week, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And we have these persistent sins and problems in our life. And we feel like we're doing our best to get rid of them. And get them out. And and they keep popping up. And they keep popping up. I'll tell you something. You can can go to the bookstore and read all the self-help books you can find, and they may teach you how to whack them down faster. But there's only one place that you will find the strength to live victoriously over all that stuff that haunts you and discourages you today. And that's through walking with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you something, this is true of all of us. It was even true of the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christ follower who ever lived. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand what I do. This is Paul talking. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do? I don't do it. But what I hate to do, that's what I end up doing. Paul says it makes no sense. I'm trying to to win, but every day I just feel defeated. He goes on to say, I know nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. He's frustrated by this time, really frustrated. He goes, finally, he says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Maybe you felt frustrated and defeated like Paul has. I know I have. I know I have. Well, how do we live victorious over that? Let me give you three things. I'm going to walk you through these. Three things that help you connect with God and the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit every day of your life so that you can have the power, not from yourself, but the power of God to live a holy and godly life in this world. Three things. How do I overcome that? Number one, well, first of all, and this is the big overarching thing, then I'll give you the three things. We've got to learn how to engage God's presence in our life. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. God's with me all the time. Yes, he is. But you have to learn how to engage his presence in in your life. Romans 8, chapter 5, verse says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So how do I do that? I set my mind on the things the Spirit desires. Well, what I'm going to do from here on out, I'm going to give you three things that you can do first thing in the morning, okay? Practical as I can be. First thing in the morning that you can do to help you connect with God and allow that Holy Spirit to fill you. I want to see how we can begin your day that way. Now, I know some of you here today, we've got all different kinds of people. How many here would call yourself a morning person? Raise your hand, all right? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are like me are married to a morning person? Anybody? All right. I'm married to a morning person. I am not a morning person. 
But you know, if you're a morning person, you might describe yourself as being kind of perky. You know, you're on a first name basis with the paper boy. You get so excited to think, I get to watch the sunrise this morning. But at nine o'clock at night, you're hallucinating. You're so tired. You know what I mean? <laughs> if that's you, that's probably a morning person. And I'm not a morning person. And for years, I've been made to feel guilty about that. The Bible says in one point in Matthew, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus woke long before daybreak to pray. People would say to me, you need to be getting up five o'clock in the morning and praying. I'm like, man, that's just not me. But then again, I began to read the Bible and I start seeing where Jesus would go out at nighttime and connect with God in the evening, into the day. And I learned that, you know, we got to decide where's the best time for us and then take a few moments and connect with God. So how do you do that? Three things. Number one, the first thing you need to do is when you wake up in the morning, are you ready for this? Number one, acknowledge God with words of wisdom. Now, I'm just going to tell you what I do. You might think of something better. Here's what I do. Before I even get out of bed in the morning, when I'm still laying in bed, I take a moment to practice the discipline of being still for a moment. Now, I know some of you, you get out of bed, and you want to hit the ground running, get up doing all this and that. But I want to encourage you to be still for a moment in the morning and begin your day, are you ready for this, with words of worship. Words that acknowledge God. Words that acknowledge how great God is. That acknowledge your dependence on Him. Words of gratitude for the unconditional love you experience. So for me, for Steve Idle, I lay in bed with my head on the pillow and I'll offer God words like this. Thank you, God, for another day. Another day I can be alive and live for you. That's words of worship. I praise you, God, this morning for loving me today. Good morning, God. I want to worship you with all my love. May my life be pleasing to you today. You know, God, this morning I dedicate to you my day to you and to your plans. Not my plans, but your plans. And before I ever get out of bed, before I lift my head off the pillow, I say those kind of words to him. And here's the principle. This is the way I've taught it for years. I don't know if this is really creative, but it seems to help people remember. Before you face your day, you face your father. Before you face your day, you face your father. And you acknowledge him with words of worship. And you ask him to identify and remove any fear from you. Identify and remove any fear that you might be experiencing. And then early in the morning, whatever that is, you renew your invitation for Jesus to spend the day with you. Now, some of you are going, I can do that. By the way, how many people here get up no later than 6 o'clock in the morning? Raise your hand. How many people? All right. All right. How many would get up by at least 5 o'clock? Raise your hand. Okay, a few more. Is there anybody here that gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning? Raise your hand. You better be milking something. You're getting up that early, all right? (laughs) But I I know for most of us, that's not going to work for most of us. But my point is this. It doesn't matter when. You lay in your bed. And you acknowledge him with words of worship. Before you ever let your feet hit the ground. C.S. Lewis, great Christian author, said it this way. The moment you wake up each morning, he says, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving them all back, he says. And listening to that other voice. Taking the other point of view. Letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life, as C.S. Lewis puts it, to come flowing in. How do you start that? You start by giving the first words of your day, your first thought. You wake up with God, and you can do that 
You can do that tomorrow morning. It was so gratifying after the first service to be out there in the lobby and hear people come up and just saying to me, I'm going to try that tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. I said, yeah, you can do it. It's simple. It's real simple. Now, some people say to me, well, I can't do that. I just can't lay there. I get up in the morning and I got to go do something. And I talk to people and they say, oh, first thing I do, I got to go get a cup of coffee. Well, I'm not a coffee drinker, so let's move on to the second choice for a lot of people. What I tend to do once I get up is first thing I do is get a shower. You know, I, I go somewhere because I can't function without getting a shower to wake me up. And so how can I, you know, connect with God while I'm in the bathroom washing? Now, how many here would uh, raise your hand if you would estimate you cleanse yourself some way or another on a daily basis? Do you do that? All right, great. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm sure the person next to you knows that already, so we're not going to ask you to, to say that. But all of us do this. So how can you be in the shower, in the bathroom, whatever, and connect with God? Here's what you do. Tomorrow morning, when you're washing your face or you're taking a shower, you're doing stuff that you always do, just pause it for a moment in that experience and say, God just like this soap and water are cleansing my body. May your word and your spirit cleanse my mind and my heart from any impurities that may be in there. Cleanse me from all the wrong intentions that I know will mislead me today. All the destructive desires that I know will get me off track. Any thoughts that would lead me away from the love and the joy and the courage you have for me, God, God, just cleanse me of those things. And taking just a moment to say those words and worship him that way, you're acknowledging him. And see, that's what words of worship do. They put you in the mode of recognizing God's presence. That even before I step out of bed or once I just get out of bed and get in the shower, I'm already acknowledging him, his presence, his power, his favor in my life. Deuteronomy says, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. You worship God not because he needs your praise, but because you and I need to be in the habit of giving him our praise. It's good for us. And if you've never experienced this before, let me tell you why this is so important. Please don't miss this. When you worship that way, it builds you up emotionally. It gives you emotional reservoirs to deal with the ups and the downs and the challenges and the disappointment and the discouraging things that might happen to you later on in the day. If you acknowledge God and he fills up that emotional tank for you, you will face those issues head on with greater strength and greater power and greater clarity than if you get up in the morning and just doing it all in your own strength. I promise you that. He will do that for you. So you start by acknowledging him. That's the first thing you do. Acknowledge with words of worship. The second thing we do in the morning to connect with God and increase and let the power of the Holy Spirit fill us is this is when we now begin to ask God. And this is just another way of saying prayer. After you acknowledge him, then you begin to pray and talk to God. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. So people say, well, how do I do that? And I've taught a lot of things over the years. But let me tell you two things I always tell people anymore when it comes to a, a prayer time with God. Number one, this is so important, you got to have a plan. Because if you just kind of go into prayer willy-nilly and, and, and undisciplined, sometimes your prayers can get repetitive, meaningless, because you're just kind of saying the same things over and over again. I would encourage you to adopt a plan. Now, I stood up in this pulpit years ago and taught the ACTS plan of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, that's good. But I'll tell you what I use now. This is really simple. It's nothing deep or anything. But here's Steve Idol's plan as I pray. I have these elements. I, first of all, when I talk to God, I talk about God. And that's the praise and the gratitude and the worship I just spoke of. The second thing I do is I pray for my family. Specific needs of my family. My sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandkids. All four of my boys changed jobs in the last year. Think I prayed for them? You better believe it. I seek God's favor and blessing on them. 
Then I pray for the church. I pray for the leaders. I pray for the staff. Then after that, I pray for different people whom God has placed in my heart or in my pathway. I was telling this earlier today. I got here early this morning, went into a prayer room, prayer time over here in the next step room, and Bob Kersey, one of the elders here, and I know, I've known Bob a long time. He wasn't an elder when I was here, but God just continued to do a work in his life. And Bob sat there this morning, didn't he, Monty? He just talked about the people that God has placed in his path that he was ministering to. And as God puts people like that in your pathway, you pray for them that morning. Then the last thing that I do, and this is just me, then I pray for our world. I pray for our country, our government leaders. Anybody here besides me praying for a week from Tuesday, the election? I mean, we ought to, we ought to be praying about that. Yeah. And that's kind of the plan that I follow. Nothing deep, but it helps me to be more thorough in my approach. The second thing I tell people to do, you don't have a plan, so you take some time to listen to God. Sometimes we just need to say nothing in our quiet time with God. Just sit in silence in his presence and just listen and enjoy his company. You know, sometimes, my friends, more than anything else, God just wants to hang out with you. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to hang out with you. He wants to be in your presence when you've been in his presence. Psalm 46.10 says this way, Be still and know that I am God. And I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I went and looked at those words in the original language, and that word, be still, you know what it literally means? Put your arms down. Quit trying to make everything happen and working all the time trying to manufacture something. Just put your arms down and know that I'm God. Take some time to listen. My favorite sermon series I ever did was called, This Morning I Talked to God and He Talked to Me. I've never heard audible voices, but there have been times that He's spoken to me. He's given me that inner nudge. I can't tell you how many times I've come out of a prayer time and called somebody up and they say, Why did you think about calling me today? I really needed this. I don't know. God just placed you on my heart. Take time to listen to him. So we acknowledge with words of worship. We ask the third and final step. We need to apply the word of God. In that quiet time, you need to apply the word of God. And what I'm talking about here, this is the action where you take some time with the Bible and you hide God's word in your heart. Why? You hide it there so God's word will guide you and speak to you. The Holy Spirit will recall passages of scripture that you read that morning and bring them to your mind all throughout the day that help you live differently, help you live that attractively different life. Great Psalm in 119, and the message translation says this way, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But the message translation says, I banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't send myself bankrupt. I put your word in my heart, and I applied it. So I put at the bottom of your notes there some scripture text. Probably the best advice I've ever heard for reading the Bible is Billy Graham used to say, I read five chapters of Psalms every day because Psalms helps me relate to God. And he said, I read one chapter of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, so you can go through the whole book in a month. I read one chapter of Proverbs because Proverbs helps me relate to men. So he says, I got this vertical thing going, and I've got the horizontal thing going. So what I've done is I've put some uh, psalms in your notes there that might give you a plan for this week, help you get you started. So what happens if tomorrow morning, whatever time you get up, you take a moment and you read one of these six psalms that I've listed there. Let me tell you what you might do, how you do this, just real quickly. Let's say you choose to read from Psalm 86, which I've put down for this Thursday. Let's say you go Thursday, you open it up, and the psalm starts out by saying this. Bend down, O Lord, hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. So maybe as you're reading that, you just stop right there. Lord, I need your help today. I can't face this problem at work or this issue with my teenager on my own. I need your help. 
You go down a few more verses, and it says, Oh, Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all. And you stop right there, and you say, God, I know I've been carrying around some bitterness towards blank, whoever. Lord, help me today to release that junk and forgive them the way you've forgiven me. And if you'll do that, if you'll read the word and apply it that way, God will create in you and help you be so attractively different that people will see the difference. I told the story in the first service. When I was in college, I got a job working in a UAW plant in Toledo, Ohio, a Chevrolet transmission plant. I worked two summers there. And the great thing about this job was I had to pay for all my own college, but I made enough money that when I graduated my senior year, I didn't owe a penny uh, because I made such good money there. But I want to tell you something. My first summer in there, people started asking me who I was, what I was doing. They knew I was summer help. I was only temporary. They said, what, what, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I want to be a preacher. And to some of those people, that, um, that became a real challenge, I guess. Because every day after that, some of these guys especially would just come at me. I mean, I'd be sitting there working, and they would come over with a pornographic magazine, open it up. How's she look to you, Rev? I had a boss named Lee Mundy, short guy about this thing. When he'd get mad at me, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the thing. I couldn't figure out a job how to do it. He'd come over and he'd go, what's the matter, Rev? Jesus ran out of brains when he came to creating you? And I made a decision early on in that experience that I was not going to lash back. I wouldn't do, I just, I wouldn't do anything to compromise my testimony. But this is what I did do. When it come to my break time, I would take this little New Testament you see right here. It was given to me in early 1976 for a wedding I did down in Mount Eden, Kentucky. And I would take this little New Testament, it has the book of Psalms in it too, and I would go and I would read. And in my break time, I would sit there by myself and I would read. And I would ask God, I wouldn't say to God, get me through another day. I'd say, God, get me through this shift. Help me to do the best I can to represent Jesus to these people. Well, one of the cool things came out of it was a guy I worked with in one of the stations was an African-American young man named Randall. And Randall came up to me one day after I'd been reading. He said, what were you doing? What were you reading there in the, in the break room? And I said, oh, I was reading my Bible. And he goes, what do you do that for? And I was kind of telling him some of the things I did it for. And he goes, could I read that? I said, sure. So I gave him this Bible. I said, here. He goes, where do I start? And I said, well, I took it. So I took him to the book of Philippians. I always remember that. I took him to Philippians. I said, just start here. So Randall would go on break, and he'd come back from break, and he'd say, what, what did that guy mean when he said this? Or what do you mean when he wrote that? And I would try to do my best to answer the questions for you. Now, I would love to be able to stand up here and say, you know, in the end, I led Randall to Christ. No, I didn't. But I can tell you this. You knew I'd do this. When the other guys would come around to have some fun at the Rev's expense, Randall never joined in after that. Now, I don't know. I'm speculating, but I'm hopeful that maybe he just saw something in me that he respected. 
and wanted more in his life. Now, if you know Steve Idle, that doesn't come from Steve Idle, the ability to do that. Oh. I can be just as mean and ugly as anybody else. But connecting every day with the Holy Spirit and asking him to live through me and give me the power to overcome my natural impulses and the selfishness that Paul talked about earlier, he'll do that for you. So I'll close with this. On this great day in the history of Northeast Christian Church, as you celebrate the last 15 years here in this place and what God has done, and yet at the same time, you look forward to the next 15 years and what God's going to do. And I'll say it again, how he's going to use this place to make Lexington, Kentucky, the toughest place in the world to go to hell from. If God's going to do that in this place and build his kingdom through this place, it starts, you can look at Monty and the elders and say, it's got to be them, it's got to be them. It's got to be you. It's got to be all of us together. Surrender to God. Ask him to be filled with his spirit and walk with that spirit every day. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you've never done that, maybe you just need to come down this morning and ask somebody to pray with you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed to do that. And some of you are going to say, well, boy, I probably should have done that years ago. I don't want to go down there now. No, you just come on down. Godly people will beat you down here and they'll just pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you've never given your heart to Christ in the first place. Wow. Best decision you'll ever make. I invite you to do that today. Let's pray, then we'll stand and sing. God, you are such a good and a loving God. And we don't deserve all that we receive from you, but you have given to us freely. And we come today as humble and grateful people. And God, today as we draw close to this portion of the service, I'm going to ask that you would move in your spirit through the hearts of your people in the way that you see fit and best. Maybe there'll be some here today that need to step forward and give their life to Christ for the first time. I pray that it'll be today. Maybe there's some here today who would say, you know, I've been kind of going halfway with this, this Jesus thing. I've kind of one, one toe in the church and one toe still in the world, and I just need to get serious and walk with God, and I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. Maybe they need to come down today and just be encouraged and prayed with. Lord, you just do whatever you need to do. All the glory goes to you. And would you work in this place together as we sing, as we offer our worship to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. And I'm going to invite you to come as we stand and sing.